know, when I moved off to college, I uh, had this really crazy experience where I had, you know, moved into adulthood and it was kind of a, a freeing thing, but also a struggling thing because I had all of these opportunities to do whatever I wanted, that I could go and go to class or I could skip class, right? I could go to work and, and do my job or I could stay home and sleep in. You know, it really was kind of up to me for the first time. There was nobody at home pushing me and making me go to do the things that I really should be doing, right? And in the same way I had this freedom, I also had, you know, the, the weight on me of the responsibility that if I didn't do it, then I had to live with the consequences of getting bad grades, failing my classes, not having money, not being able to pay my bills, those kinds of things. And as I moved into this phase of adulthood and was dealing with this freedom, I began to deal with some of the questions that um, we all do at certain points in our life where I had to kind of figure out what kind of person am I going to be? What type of values am I going to have? How kind of life am I going to live? And while I was in this process, uh, one of my roommates, not realizing that this was something I was dealing with, uh, after dinner one night, asked me this question. And he wasn't being patronizing. He wasn't trying to start an argument. Um, he was an atheist. And he asked me this question. He knew I was a Christian. And he said, James, of all the different religions and options out there, why are you a Christian? And in reality, I never truly considered it. Maybe I thought about it. I certainly had been trained in the Bible. I'd grown up in the church, you know, from the time I was a kid, you know, I grew up in Sunday school. I cut my teeth on the pews in the sanctuary. My mom played the piano, you know. My, my dad was a leader in the church. I mean, we just, I was always there. If the doors were open, I was part of the youth group. Um, I was, you know, did, I had mentors that discipled me and taught me the Bible, but nobody really prepared me to answer these tougher questions. These questions about life and the meaning of life and, and the purpose behind everything. Who, who decides what's right and what's wrong? All of these kinds of things. And so I went on this journey to find myself, right? And at some point in life, we all do this. If we live long enough and we, and we move into maturity, we're going to have to tackle these tough issues to identify who are we? What kind of life am I going to live? What kind of values am I going to have? What kind of person am I going to be as, a, as an adult, right? As a, as a mature person. And as I went through this journey, I began to tackle these four areas. And that's what we're going to look at today as we begin to tackle this series called Finding Myself. Because the world is big and the world is wide and there's so much information out there. There's so many paths. There's so many roads you could go down. And now more than ever, it, the world is so full of information and so many voices are calling out to us and calling us to go their way, to believe their truth, to, to, to come to their way of thinking and to follow their lifestyle. And as all these voices, it can be so tempting to follow each one for a different reason. And it can be so confusing because there are so many options out there. And so the only way to truly get there is to ask the right questions. You see, I don't know if you did this growing up. My brother and I played a lot of video games growing up. And some of our favorite games were the ones that you could walk around and you didn't have to follow a set plan. You could walk around the, the world of the game and you could do different quests and you could you know, take different actions and you would meet different computer characters in the game along the way. 
But one of the things that would happen in the game as you played it is that you could go to characters and they wouldn't help you unless you asked them the right questions. You see, without the right questions, they weren't going to give you the right answer. And life is the same way. There are plenty of people out there that are voices that can help us and, and guide us and give us direction, but we have to be willing to ask the right questions. So what are the right questions? You see, just like in the game, if you ask the wrong question, you can spend a lot of time kind of spinning your wheels and waste a lot of time. You could be playing the game and getting further. Life is the same way. If you don't ask the right questions, then you can spend a lifetime looking for the answers and not getting anywhere. So today I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you those four questions as we start the first session of this series, Finding Myself. And so as we look at these questions, these big questions are not new. This is not something new that I created. They've been around for a long, long time. They're called the ontological questions. And ontology is the study of being. And so when we ask the four ontological questions, we're looking at what are the questions that I ask about my being, about my human existence here in the world, the human perspective, the human experience, right? And they deal with four areas, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And each of these four areas is important because each one leads to the other. Origin asks the question, where did everything come from? I look around and I see the world and I see the sun and the moon and the stars and the sky and the clouds and the, and the earth as we know all these things. Science has taught us all these things about the earth and the universe and the, the massive galaxy after galaxy after galaxy that we keep discovering. That where did all of that come from? Because that question, the answer to that question falls like a domino to the next one. There's origin and then there's meaning. Meaning asks the question, what's the purpose of life? What's this life for? As the great philosophers Creed, the, the band Creed asked, you know, way back in the late 90s, early 2000s, what's this life for, right? Meaning. And then that leads us to the domino effect of next into morality. Who determines what is right and wrong? Right? That can be very confusing depending on where you live, what country you're, you're in, what culture you're a part of. Different things can be right or wrong. And we have to ask, who sets those rules? Is it culture or is it something greater? And lastly, the last question after origin, meaning, morality, and destiny is the last one. Destiny asks the question, what happens when I die? All throughout history, different cultures and different beliefs and different religions have had different answers. And that's a very important question to ask because if this is the only thing there is, then this life has to be enjoyed as much as possible because then I'm going to die and it's all going to be over. But if there's something after this life, then I need to make sure I prepare for it because the, who, you know, this life after this one is what you know, we, 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 I could be living there for a short amount of time depending on your faith or I could be there for an eternity. So these four questions, these four areas, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny are what we're going to spend time tackling. Now, as we look at these, guys, I could spend a long time looking at every different faith's perspective, right? Because there are tons of them. You know, there's the, there's the big five religions, right? But then there are dozens, if not hundreds, of other religious out there, and then non-religious views, right? So in the time we have, because I don't want, you know, I could spend forever talking about it, I'm really going to camp on two different perspectives. I'm going to look at the Christian perspective and the atheist perspective, because those are the two biggest ones that we're going to confront in our American culture here in the United States. 
You see, for the longest time since the creation of our country, the, the founding of our nation, Christianity was the largest faith group. There were others, but Christianity was the largest. But in the last century, guys, something has changed. That Christianity has been on the decline, and atheism now in, a, in the United States of America is the fastest growing faith group. And this is important. So these are the two big views that you're going to be confronted with. So if I have to choose only two, those are the two that we are going to get the most bang for our buck out of. So why is this important, right? We've talked about because of the human experience, we need to have these questions. But the Bible speaks about this too. Jesus actually taught on this in his Sermon on the Mount when he was giving his manifesto of the kingdom as he began his earthly ministry and he had thousands of people following. You know, in, in, in the Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we see this. It's also in the Gospel of Luke, but we're going to be looking in Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 6, on the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says this, starting in verse 22. He says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. It's amazing that 2,000 years ago, Jesus was addressing the same problem we're looking at today. That the way we view the world our perspective, the way we experience life is of the greatest importance because it shapes everything else that we experience. Every other part of our life is going to be experienced through this lens of our worldview. Your worldview is simply just the way you view the world. And maybe this is the first time you've thought about it or maybe you've been struggling with this. But either way, I want us to tackle this. Because even if you solidified your worldview a long time ago, you need to be able to help people through this if we as followers of Christ want to share our perspective so that they can see why we believe what we believe. And that has been the biggest fault, and we're going to talk more about this in our next session, but this has been one of the biggest faults of the church in the last century in the United States of America. You see, America was founded on a Christian value system, a Christian ethic. And a hundred years ago, a little over a hundred years ago, we took that Christian ethic and that Christian value system out of our culture, and things have been spiraling through ever since. But let's start where our nation started. Let's start with the Christian perspective. Like Jesus said, we need to make sure that our eye is healthy so that our body will be filled with light. We need to look at the world through a proper perspective. So for some of you guys, this will just be review, but for some of you listening to this, this may be the very first time you've thought about this. So let's break it down section by section. The first one is origin, right? Origin. Where did everything come from? Well, according to the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth. The book of Genesis starts us out with this, the very opening verse. The word Genesis means beginning. It comes from the very beginning of that verse in Hebrew, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the answer to our question. Where did everything come from? And why would we believe that? Do we just say that we believe it because a book tells us? No, because the evidence points to this. As we look at the world, now I'm not a scientist, okay? The letters after my name, as far as education and titles go, aren't dealing with science. But if you talk to people that know about this stuff and you look, read the books and stuff, you can look at the fact that the world is full of systems. One of the greatest ones that's one of my favorites is the whole you know situation where we breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide. I like breathing in and out. I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of addicted to it. I like it because if I stop, really bad things happen. 
So when I breathe in oxygen, the system, the way it works is I breathe in oxygen. You know this. I breathe out carbon dioxide. And the system of the world works in such a way that the plants take in the carbon dioxide and they put out oxygen. And we have this system, this cycle, right? Or we look at other systems like the water system. My girls are, are in middle school now. We've been, you know, for the last couple of years, we've been learning about the water cycle, right? That, that it rains, okay? That water collects into the ground and either becomes groundwater or it gets hot and it evaporates and it turns into steam, goes back into the atmosphere, collects in the clouds and becomes rain or snow or sleet or something like that all over again. It's this water cycle, right? These systems that are in place. The human body is so full of systems. It's amazing. I don't know if you've ever marveled at the fact that maybe you give, get yourself a paper cut or a small injury and your body heals itself. How amazing is that? That you eat food, you consume things from the planet, and then your body digests them to give you nutrition to keep you living and functioning in a healthy way. That the planet provides exactly what our bodies need. It's amazing. All these systems. And then when we get bigger, right, we have all these anthropic principles that, that show us that the world has design, right? That if we were any further away from the sun, we'd freeze. Any closer and we'd burn up, right? And all of these things work together. The tilt of the axis, the, 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 the distance that the earth is away from the sun so that as it goes around, it makes a full calendar year. All these things that the pages of science, all these anthropic principles, and you could teach for forever on all this stuff, but the reality is this world has design. And so logically, we can look at that if there is design, there must be a designer. None of us would walk through a, 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 a city and see a, a cell phone sitting on the side of the sidewalk, right? And pick it up and think, wow, over billions and billions of years, everything worked together to make this cell phone. No, we would say, man, this thing is meticulously made. It has all these interworking, interwoven systems. It must have been created because it has a design. There must be a designer. And so it logically shows that, man, somebody had to make all of this that was powerful, incredibly powerful, and incredibly intelligent for all of this to work together. We call that entity God. And so the whole origin thing leads into origin leads to meaning. So we have figured out very briefly that God made everything. That's the origin. But what gives our life meaning? And this is where, if you were to say, okay, James, a lot of religions and a lot of faiths believe in God. Okay, I get that. But this is where everything diverges. And like I said, I could spend hours and days and tons of different sessions talking about different faith groups. But the reality is the Christian perspective is the only one that makes sense of the human experience. I'll give you a couple of brief examples. I know I said I wouldn't, but stick with me. So let's say we look at Hinduism. Hinduism believes that if you do good in this world, it builds up your karma. And if you do bad in this world, it adds to your karmic debt. That karma, you've heard this whole thing, or what goes around comes around. We use this idea of karma, but it's actually connected to the Hindu religion. And they believe that if you do well in this life, that after you die, you'll be reincarnated and then you'll have a better system. You'll be in a better part of the in a better life. You'll have a lot more happiness. You'll have a lot more blessings. You know, a lot greater prosperity. But if you do bad things and you add to your karma in a negative way, that karmic debt has to be paid off. So in the next life, you'll be in a lesser quality situation. That's why Hindus believe in the caste system. And if you were to talk to a Hindu when they were going through suffering, they would say, "Oh, it's just your karma, right? I'm just paying off my karma," and that. 
that's where they get their meaning from. The meaning of life is to pay off your karma, to attain moksha, to, to get you know, released from this world and be one with the universe, with Brahma again. Now, that sounds good on paper, but go talk to somebody in a hospital that's dying of cancer and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I've, I've been a hospital chaplain in the military for a long time. If I went to somebody dying of cancer in the hospital and said, oh, your suffering's just paying off your karma, so I know it, it's terrible in this life right now, but in your next life, it'll be better because you're paying, you're, you're paying off your suffering now. No, that doesn't satisfy. You see, only the person of Jesus provides true meaning to our life because Jesus shows us our purpose. That you see, just as you were created by God, that also means you were created for a purpose. And in our next section, we're really going to, next session, we're going to dive into that very deep. But the reality is, if God made you, then he made you for a reason. Your life has value. Your life has purpose. Every other faith system is how can we get to God or how can I do things, right, to give my life meaning. But the way of Jesus shows us that we have meaning in our life because he created us, and that's just that simple. I have meaning in my life purely because I exist, and God made me for his good pleasure. So origin, meaning, right? I exist, God made everything, and then I exist for the purpose he created me for, meaning. That's why people without God spend their whole life chasing the wind, as Solomon called it. King Solomon wrote you know, the book of Ecclesiastes and he talked about all the things he did with his wealth and his knowledge and he did all the things that the world says that we should have. The world says we should have the three P's, right? That we should have power, that we should have authority of other people, that we should have prestige, we should be famous, everybody should, should look to us and go, wow, right? And be in awe of us because of our titles and our standing and our position. And then lastly, they say we should have prosperity, that life should be comfortable and easy with tons of money in the bank and food in the pantry and easy living, right? But I've met so many people who have had those three things and said their life was meaningless. See, we don't find meaning in those things that the world tells us. We find meaning in the person of Jesus and the purpose he created us for. The third one is morality. Who determines what is right and what is wrong? Well, the reality is, outside of a moral law giver, there can be no true moral law. Otherwise, whoever has the might makes the right. Whatever your culture is, 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 you know, what goes. But we run into problems with that, and a lot of people are fine with that. Oh, in one country they have their laws, and in another country they have theirs. But think about the Jewish Holocaust, where over 25 million Jews were killed, plus all the other different people that they killed in the concentration camps. Millions and millions and millions and millions of people dying. You realize that those deaths were perfectly legal under the reign of Nazi Germany. Under the Nazi Empire, right, under the Third Reich, it was perfectly legal to kill those millions of people. But I've never met a single person that would say, James, I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> I'm to you know, and, and, and maybe there are, but I've never met somebody. Most people would intuitively know that to kill those millions of people to try to commit that genocide is wrong. They would feel it inside of them. You see, there's a moral law that we all have. Throughout history, we've seen these same themes carried nation to nation, empire to empire, these same ideas. Why? Because God created a moral law inside of us. And if there is a moral law, there must be a moral law giver. And that moral law giver is God. You see, otherwise, there'd be no enforcer for the rules. That if the police aren't around, I'm not really doing anything wrong, right? It's the Aladdin principle. If you've seen the movie Aladdin, the Disney movie, it says, Aladdin famously says that you're only in trouble if you get caught. The Aladdin principle goes into effect if there is no moral law giver. 
that if I don't get caught, then it's not bad. I'm not wrong. But here's the reality. <laughs> there is a moral law. And so there must be a moral law giver. That's who determines what's right and what's wrong. And we know God's moral law, not just in our hearts, but also in his word. That we read the pages of scriptures and we see how God has created a system of loving God with everything we have and loving our neighbor like we love ourselves. And this helps us guide ourselves to right and wrong with all the other you know, intricacies that go along with it. And lastly, okay, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. What happens when I die? Well, if every other world faith is right, I, then this life, it, it, I better just have fun while I can. Because if, if Hinduism is right, then I'm just going to be reincarnated. Same thing with Buddhism. I'll be reincarnated. If, you know, Judaism is right, then I'm just going to stand before God and say, God, I know I broke some of your laws, but I did the best I could. If Islam is right, I'm going to stand in front of Allah and say, Allah, I, I tried. I did the best I could. You see, it's all the things I can do. And the reality is, guys, nothing we do will ever be good enough. So if, you know, if atheism is right, we're going to talk about that more in just a second. Then life is over anyway. It doesn't matter. It, it ends when we die. But if all the other faiths are right, then nothing I do can really earn it. And that's the reality, is no amount of good can make up for a bad that we do. Don't believe me? Go talk to a parent who had a child murdered and say, what good could the murderer do to make up for that? It, it doesn't work that way. No amount of good can replace a bad. And so we see that the way of Jesus leads to not only an answer to origin, where everything came from, the way of Jesus leads to meaning and purpose in our life. It gives us a system of morality that makes sense of the world, and it gives us the hope for eternity. Jesus famously said at the end of his ministry, right, John chapter 14, if I go away, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can also be. The goal of, of all of this, maybe you know, it was not to go to heaven originally, we were created for this earth, but because of sin, God made a holding place until he comes back and restores a new heaven and a new earth, and that's heaven. We go to be with Jesus. You see, it's not about the place. It's about the person of dying and being with Jesus until he returns to make the world like it should have been in the first place and restore everything to its original purpose. But you said, James, there are other answers out there. You're right. There are a lot of other things, and we could spend time unpacking that. But I want to encourage you to start with this. Let this be your launching point to say, okay, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Why is that important? Because look at the converse, okay? I would say the, the pretty much the polar opposite almost, maybe Satanism. But outside of that, that Darwinian evolution has led to atheism in our nation. And, and I know we're going to run out of time. I don't want to talk forever about this. But one of the things I want you to hear me say is that in the 1890s in Europe, the Death of God movement started. And American culture bought into that hook, line, and sinker as the existentialism movement started in philosophy. Existentialism basically says that only the things we can experience are real. That if we can't experience it, see, taste, touch, all those kind of things, right, then it's not real. And so therefore, God must not be real because we can't, you can't see God. You can't touch God, right? He's just way out there, pie in the sky, by and by when I die kind of stuff. And they latched on to this and they started doing away with God. And one of the famous existentialist philosophers, Friedrich Nietzsche, wrote the parable of a madman, a parable called The Madman. And in that parable, it talks about a madman who runs through the city talking about how God is dead. And he talks about how we, as God's murderers, humans, that we have killed God, and so we have to replace him. And guys, that's exactly what we did. That we took God in the 1920s, we took God out of our schools. 
and we started teaching Darwinian evolution instead. We said, no, religion has no place in schools. And instead, we're going to teach about, quote unquote, science, right? Because at the time, they believed that Darwinian evolution was, was the only answer to the evidence of reality and the human experience. And so that in the 1920s, they took God out of schools. And then in the 1940s and 50s, we took God out of our homes, right? We started pulling God out of, well, you know, we'll go to church, but then we're going to stop. We're going to stop talking about religion, right? Polite society doesn't talk about politics. It doesn't talk about religion. It doesn't talk about finances. And then in the 70s and 80s, we began to pull God out of our government. And then all of a sudden, we wake up a hundred years from it all starting, right? The 1890s is when it really started. In America, we really started the dominoes falling in the, in the 1920s. And then all of a sudden, we wake up, and guys, the 1900s was the bloodiest century in recorded history. Suicide is skyrocketing. Murder is skyrocketing. Humans killing other humans, unlike any other period in history. Why? Because we have replaced the truth of God, like the book of Romans, Paul wrote, that they took the truth of God and replaced it with a lie. And that's exactly what we did. You see, for a hundred years, we've told kids in school that Darwinian evolution is true, that time plus matter plus chance made everything we see origin, right? And so because time plus matter plus chance made everything we see, that means that you are an accident of the universe. That leads us to meaning. That means that if Darwin evolution is true, then our life has no ultimate purpose. You're here purely by chance. You are at best a Bob Ross moment. You're a happy accident. And so that life ultimately has no meaning. So you do the best you can with what you've got until you die. And so you have get as much money, have as much fun, do as many fun things and, and, and all the things that you can get in your life. Because when you're 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years are up. That's all there is, right? So you have no purpose in your life outside of what you can find in the world. And because of that, man, hopelessness and darkness has taken over our country in leaps and bounds in the last hundred years. Because people have believed that because nothing, that everything's here purely by chance, time plus matter plus chance made us, Darwinian evolution, then that leads to a life with no meaning because you're here by accident. And then morality, there is no morality. If you were to ask the two most recent generations, they would say there's no such thing as absolute truth. And I love it when I meet somebody like that because I always want to ask them, is do you believe that absolutely? Because this, the statement of saying there is no absolute truth is an absolute truth. And so it falls in on itself. It, it, it's a self-defeating argument. But people believe that. that 70 plus percent of the two most recent generations, according to the Barna Research Group, believe that there's no such thing as absolute truth, that all truth is subjective. It's up to you and your interpretation. And so because of that, we have constantly, just like Nietzsche predicted in his parable of the madman, that we would begin to redefine everything, that we would become God. And so like God, we've begun to redefine what is right and what is wrong. We have begun to look at the, the definitions of truth, and we begin to reinterpret those into what we believe is true and is accurate. And if you don't agree with me, then man, woe on you, because the society is going to come against you if you don't let other be, you know, oh, you're being intolerant by saying that something has to be 100% true, because everybody believes it's subjective. And sadly, because there is no such thing as morality, it's up to how you make it, then there can be no standard. And people float around aimlessly until they die, trying their best to fill an empty hole, because according to Darwinian evolution and atheism, when you die, it's all over. And everything's hopeless. You see, my friends, this is why 
we need to learn these things. We need to learn apologetics. We need to be able to go to these people that are lost in this dying, dark world that believes they're here purely by chance, that their life ultimately has no purpose. It doesn't matter if they die. It doesn't matter if they kill somebody else. It doesn't matter so long as, as you know, they did the best they could with what they had because then, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, right? Tomorrow we die, right? Because the, 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 there's nothing else out there they believe after it's all over with. And obviously, each one of these falls apart when confronted with reality. Origin. There's no way time plus matter plus chance made everything because we know from the, the laws of science that matter can't be made or destroyed. So only God could make it. Nothing comes from nothing. So if we all know it started with nothing and it made something, God had to do that. So Darwinian evolution falls in on itself. Next, we've got this whole idea for meaning, right? Origin meaning. That if God made everything, then your life does have meaning and purpose, right? You do have a reason for it. You are not an accident. And then thirdly, morality, that God defines what's right and what's wrong. Let me go back briefly. I know we need to finish up, but briefly, let me go back to that whole Nazi Germany thing. Years ago with the army, I got to go on a training mission to Germany. And while I was there, I was blessed to have the opportunity to go to Nuremberg. And while I was in Nuremberg, I got to visit where they had the famous Nuremberg war trials. And while I was there, I took a tour. And the lady that was giving the tour guide said this, and it rocked my world. She said that during the trial, the Nazi lawyers had a genius idea. They went to the, to the judges, and as they made their defense, they said, and we've already talked about this a little bit, they said that you have no right to put us on trial because what we did was legal in our own country. What we did was legal by our own laws, and so you have no right to impose your laws on us. We aren't coming into your country you know, and, and putting you on trial, right? You have no right to do that to us. And it seemed like for a little bit their defense was going to work because they were right. People were imposing other nations' laws on a sovereign nation. And so and the, it looked like everything was going to go the Nazis' way and they were going to get away with it. But then the, the head judge, the lead judge, said this. He said, you're right, but there is a judge above us. We don't have the right to judge you, but his law is how we can hold you accountable today. You see, outside of the moral law of God, there is no right or wrong. But here's the last thing. Jesus, unlike any other person that claimed to be God, rose from the dead. And as my mentor Jackie Watts has said many, many times, if he rose from the dead, we can trust what he said. That means when Jesus made the promise that he would go and make a place for us, if we put total trust in him, John 3, 16, right? God loved the world so much, whoever believes in him, that word believe in Greek means total trust. That whoever puts total trust in him will not die, but will have eternal life. That if Jesus rose from the dead, we can trust that promise. We can trust what he said. So as we get ready to wrap this session up for our first session in this series of Finding Myself, I want to encourage you because you're in one of three places. Maybe you're listening to the sound of my voice today and you're searching. You're searching for purpose in life. Maybe you're starting out your journey into defining your worldview, and I'm excited for you. Because if that's you, man, please keep working on it. Write down these questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Where did I come from? What's the purpose of life? Who determines what is right and what is wrong? And what happens when I die? Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Go on the journey. Because Jesus made this promise. Ask, seek, and knock. Right? Ask, and you'll get the answer. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. You'll, if you're searching with the right heart, God's going to show up in your life. 
I firmly believe that. Maybe you're here and you're a skeptic. Maybe you've looked at the claims of Christianity and people haven't been able to answer your questions. Maybe the science teachers with all of their degrees have been able to provide you with answers that the church couldn't. Here's a, here's a cool thing. There are Christian scientists out there. There are people who look at the evidence and they are firmly convinced that all of the information, just like me, all the information points to the designer because there is design. And so there are answers. If you're a skeptic, there are answers out there. You just haven't been asking the right people. So please go and find the Christian scientists, find the educated people, people that are trained in apologetics that can give you the answers you deserve. Because God's not afraid of your questions. I don't care what any other pastor or church or congregation may have told you. God is big enough to answer your questions because the answers are out there. If you're a skeptic, please don't give up. Ask the questions. And finally, and maybe you're not a searching, maybe you're not skeptic, maybe you're satisfied. Maybe you have a worldview. Maybe you have that, that you believe Jesus is everything he said he was, and you understand that these origin, meaning, morality, and destiny areas are only found in the person of Jesus, and you've put total trust in him. I want to challenge you to get good at explaining these things to people because people are leaving the church in droves. People are leaving the faith like never before and turning to atheism because Christians have not done a good enough job of answering their questions. So please don't leave it to the pastors, the chaplains, the ministers, the evangelists, the, all these things. Every Christian is an ambassador, according to Paul. He said, we are Christ's ambassadors. That God, Christ is making his appeal through us. That's our job. So we need to be ready to do it. So I want to challenge you, wherever you are today, man, and here's our big truth. Here's what I want to close with, this idea that a proper worldview leads you to what is true. A proper worldview leads you to what is true. That if you don't have a proper worldview, you're going to be lost, floating out in the ocean with no anchor. But a proper worldview will lead you to exactly where God wants you to be. You'll understand where everything came from. You'll understand that you have meaning in your life. You'll understand what the difference between right and wrong is. And you'll know where you're going to go when you die. So, as we get ready to close, I want to close in prayer. And I want to encourage you to pray along with me that God would help us find that proper worldview and to share it with other people, to give them hope, not just for eternity, but here on this earth. You see, God created us for this planet. Originally, we weren't meant to die. God wants us to bring the kingdom as Jesus taught us to pray, right? Lord, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's the goal. So pray with me. King Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you've given us this opportunity. Thank you that you've given us insight into the world you created to answer these four ontological questions dealing with origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And I pray that as the men and women who listen to the sound of my voice, I pray that as they, as they deal with this, whether they're searching, a skeptic, or satisfied in you, I pray that they would begin to incorporate this and chew on this and struggle with this and work on this so that they can give a clear and reasonable answer for each area. And Lord, more than that, I pray that we would become qualified, powerful ambassadors for your kingdom that can show these answers to people that are hurting in this lost and dying world. So Lord, give us the ability to find a worldview because as we found out today, a proper worldview leads us to what is true. Amen. Thank you guys for spending time with us this week.